forget you don't have to deal with everything that's gone on in your life in this eight-week block. Just really want to say that. Sometimes it can feel like, I've got to, I've got to sort it all out. No, God's a good God. And uh, I, a great comment I heard from a number of people was, just see what God is highlighting to you at that point. It might be so small and, and just go with that thing. That's the thing that God wants to work through in your life. All right, so we're in week number five, enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Don't forget we're basing uh, these messages all out of the book and we encourage you to read along. Uh, it just helps sort of magnify the learning. Uh, you'll see a lot of the teaching that we say will come out of that book, encourage you to do that. So we want to enlarge our soul through grief and loss and really what that's all about is growth, right? If we're looking at that word enlarge, we want to become bigger, bigger people. None of us want to stay the same. We all want to grow in our life. And again, you can get to age 50, 60, 70, it doesn't matter and still be a small person. I've seen 20-year-olds that are more mature than than 50-year-olds. It's not just about age, it's about making sure you're enlarging yourself. And one of the ways that you can do that is by allowing grief and loss to affect your life. And just in case you're thinking, oh, this is a message about just about losing a loved one. It, it, just to be clear, it's not just about that. It's, it's about all the sorts of grief and loss that you'll experience in your life. And of course, we're going to dig into that. So I encourage you, just uh, really grab a hold of this, this thought that this is a way that I grow, that I enlarge myself, that I enlarge who I am. Because all through our life, we're going to go through grief and loss. We're going to experience loss all through our life. It's interesting. I don't know if you can remember it, but every single one of us here experienced loss on the day we were even born. Because we left the warmth of our mother's tummy, right? And came into this shockingly cold, cruel world uh, where maybe you even got a smack on, on the bottom or whatever it was. And that's how life begins. In a sense, life begins with loss. And it continues on. If you think about uh, children, Jess and I were just talking this week about a little toddler we know that's having to go through seasons of loss. Our children had to step out into school and there's a, a grieving that goes on in that. Every parent here knows about that. You know about that. You've been to school. You know what it's like to step out into that scary world, to let go as you get married, you, you, you leave home or, or perhaps you left home earlier, but you're letting go. Your whole life is about these stages of letting go, of moving on. And the thing is, when we hit these points in our life, we can allow them to speak to us, we can allow ourselves to grow, or we can stay back and hold on to where we're at and don't let ourselves grow because we're forever moving on in life. There's always seasons of loss, but people do try and stop them. Now, I've got some pictures here. One of the ways that we try and stop them is just physically. Uh, plastic surgery is, is a really common one. Uh, some pictures up here. This lady's name is Jocelyn Wildenstein. You've probably seen her before, but a classic example of somebody that's saying, I'm not moving on. I'm staying where I'm at. My feeling is she didn't stay where she was at. It didn't work. I mean, that's an extreme example, but she's trying to hold on to something else. We've got a few other pictures. This is um, Rocky's mother, Sylvester Stallone's mum. Her name's Jackie Stallone, the same sort of thing. Is there another one? 
just the one. We, that's all right. Don't worry about her. I'll move right on. There was a few. No problem. But the point to it is that we hold on to where we're at. We, we don't want to grow. We don't want to move on. And it's something that we, we rail against. And I just want to say again, that at the end of it all, it's not possible to grow into maturity as a disciple of Christ without dealing with the issues of grief and loss that come into our life and allowing it to enlarge our heart. You know, we all come from different family backgrounds. There's now almost a bit of a joke about the Mutzelbergs. I shared it a couple of weeks ago and the way we deal with conflict in our home. We're a, we're a home, certainly in my parents' home, was a home where it was like, bang, we were there and it was no problem to enter into conflict. That's just what we knew. Whereas other families, it's like, let's keep away from that thing. We all, we all carry our life's experience into the way that we express our loss and our, and our grief. And I want you to try and set that aside for just a minute today and say, what does the Bible tell us about how I should experience loss and grief? And that's where we're going to start. You know, the Bible's full of lament. It's full of um, experiences of loss and grief. Two-thirds of the psalm, of the psalms are griefs or laments to God. Isn't that amazing? Two-thirds. The book of Jeremiah, we're reading it at the moment, or maybe we've just finished it, is, is a book of laments and grief to God. Most of the book of Job is him struggling with grief and loss. In fact, many people say that Job is what we all experience, but it's all just condensed down for poor old Job into that short season that he went through. Uh, Jesus went through grief and loss. That's where we're going to really touch on today. And if you're following along in a Bible, you want to open up to Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. I'm going to read along. So putting aside where we've come from or what you know, let's look at how Jesus experienced grief and loss. Verse 36 of 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not watch with me one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. said to them, you still and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. We read and hear all sorts of different pictures there, but the heart of all of that is that Jesus is experiencing incredible grief and sorrow at this point. You know, as you look at verse 37, it's probably the key verse. It says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. When you look up that word 
in the Greek, you know, it means all sorts of things, but certainly uh, it, it sort of had the analogy of a, of a sadness, but not just a sadness, a sadness of the mind, of an extreme sadness. That word troubled means he was heavily in sorrow. Uh, some writers say that it was a bit like a, dep- a depression that Jesus was going through. Not, not a full-on depression, but it was that heavy. That's sort of the analogy of the word. This was serious. This was no small thing. This was incredibly heavy grief that Jesus went through at this point. In fact, in verse 38, he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. That's how, how extreme this grief is that Jesus is going through. And we see this in other places in the Bible. Hebrews 5.7 says that Jesus offered up his prayers to God with loud cries and tears. He's in such anguish in this point, to the point of death. And verse 39, it says, he fell with his face to the ground and he prays. Jesus is flat out on the ground. I mean, I just want you to picture that for a minute. Jesus is flat out, lying on the ground, face down, on the ground, in such distress. Have you ever been in that sort of distress? Jesus is broken. He's empty. He's got nothing to hold on to but God. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 22, verse 44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood, falling to the ground. Theologians and doctors have really examined what that's all about and essentially what they find out is that he was in such anguish that the capillaries in his head were bursting and the blood was coming out of him in sweat. Have you ever been overwhelmed to that point? I mean, this is extreme. This is what Jesus was going through. The losses that Jesus is experiencing are overwhelming as he's aware, as he begins to become aware of what that cup is all about. He's going to experience and taste hell. He's going to be cut off from the Father. Jesus, who knew no sin, is going to become sin. He's going to experience all that sin is. You think of the list of sin, murder, rape, incest, molestation, war, and it goes on and on and on. Jesus, who has no sin, is going to become sin. And not just all the sin, but the judgment from sin. I mean, try and understand for a minute the weight of what Jesus is going through here. And he's looking at this cup that's in front of him, and he's flat out, and he's overwhelmed, and he's sad, and he's anguished, and he's in horror, and he's crying out. And he's suffering loss. Of course, on top of this, he's suffering the loss of Judas. You think about that just moments before he's seen Judas, one of his friends. And Judas was a friend. He'd been with him for three years. Judas has left him, betrayed him. He's experiencing that loss. He knows that the 11 disciples that are left are about to leave him. Peter is about to deny him and he knows this. He's experiencing the loss of a nation. The nation of Israel is rejecting him. He's actually experiencing the loss of the world. The world, in a sense, is about to pin him, nail him to a cross. And he's in a mess and he's in a bad place. And what's incredible 
in all of this passage is that it uses the words he's going to be handed over to the authorities beyond it all he's going to lose all control in this moment and he's handed over he loses control it's an amazing picture of the humanity Jesus is all God and he's all man it's an amazing picture of both and he's losing at this point and and it amazes me that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are so honest about the life of Jesus. The Bible is so honest about some of the things that we experience, the model that we have. I love the honesty of the Bible in this moment. It's interesting, what we might have expected is something like the, the Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp. You know, when he was 86 years old, he's burnt at the stake because of his love for Christ and in that moment he actually says let it burn they're about to put the fire on and he says let it burn why do you delay come what you will and that maybe is the picture that we would have hoped or expected of Jesus in that moment to be a bit like that but amazingly the Bible paints a picture here of Jesus in anguish and on the ground, you know that the early church really struggled with this passage of Scripture. There was a lot of debate about this Scripture. Some people were, were killed ultimately about their, the way they interpreted this Scripture. But some people wanted to say, that can't be right. Jesus is God. He couldn't be going through that sort of anguish. And yet for us, we get a picture of how we walk through anguish in this life. And in all of it, he's asking, is there a way around this? Have you ever asked that question? Surely there's another way. Surely I don't have to go through the things that I'm going through. And Jesus says, if it is possible. You know, it's interesting as you look at this passage, you found again this week, three times he says that. If it's possible, if there's another way, sort it out. Get rid of the struggle that I'm going through. Get rid of the anguish that's in my heart at the moment. Do it another way. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. In other words, stop it from happening. And this is an important part of the scripture. We've got to balance scripture with scripture. Sometimes we can talk about just the blessings of God and what he wants for us. And there's a place for that. But sometimes if you think your life is just going to be about blessing and prosperity, and success, and claiming those things, then you need to have a look at this passage of Scripture, because in this Scripture, Jesus, who is God, is calling out to his God and saying, is there another way? God, do a miracle, bring salvation in some other way. This is Jesus that knew how to pray better than all of us, that had faith better than all of us, calling out for a miracle. And in that moment, God says, no, I want you to drink the cup that I've given you. Salvation is coming to the earth and it's through you. And it actually should affect our own even understanding of some of the sufferings that we go through in life that sometimes Jesus calls us to walk through some of these things. So what do we learn from Jesus? Two basic principles that we're learning today first of all listening to the interruption of grief and then we'll move on to learning to fall this first one here listening to the interruption of grief for Jesus this was obviously an interruption grief has come into his life 
it's an understatement to say this was an interruption. This was abrupt in his life. But this is the thing about loss. There's times when they come into your life and there's times when you've got to listen to them because we don't want to listen to them. If you're anything like me, when I experience grief and loss, everything in me wants to push those things away, right? And say, they don't belong in my life. I don't want that grief and that loss in my life. I don't want to have to face those things and we want to push them aside. Everything in us wants to throw them out. These losses come in so many different forms, right? We lose people that we love. We go through divorces, we go through separations, breakups of relationships, illnesses, crushing disappointments, abuse, betrayals, affairs, unfulfilled dreams, failures, doors shutting, painful memories, losses come in so many different ways. And I could go on with that list, but our culture does very poorly with loss. We want to move on fast through it and just sort it out. The attitude is sort of one of don't feel, just, just push on. Numb yourself through the pain. And that's why we love things like addictions. That's why we push into addictions that medicate our way through these things. Like, I don't know, food addictions or drug addictions. Or maybe it's shopping or alcohol or whatever it is for you. But we do anything but experience the grief or loss that we're going through. Who wants to lose control? I don't want to lose control. And sometimes if we're honest, there's a sense of, I think that our faith isn't even up to it if we're going through these things. It's a bit like I'm a lower class Christian because I'm going through something that I can't control. Maybe my faith isn't strong enough. And there's the quandary in that moment of what is going on in my life at the moment. Am I unlovable? Does God not love me? Does God not see what I'm going through? And sometimes, and I guess it would happen in our church too, But we come to church and people just say, well, just praise God. It's okay. Push on through it. And of course, if you're like me, you're sitting here saying, well, there is a time for that and there is a time for that. But there is a time for allowing ourselves to be interrupted by the grief, for understanding that we're going through a season of grief and loss. And the irony is Jesus, who is our model of life in this moment, is on the ground. Jesus isn't just saying, just push through it. He's on the ground experiencing everything that this means to him in this moment. He's not pretending, but he's allowing it to challenge him. You know, I was at a conference recently and uh, it was a large conference and it was a well-meaning session on experiencing grief and loss. And a pastor got up, and I want to be very careful because I don't know his full circumstance and situation, so I'm sort of saying it through my eyes. But he got up and he talked about how recently his wife had died. And he, he got up and he, and he said a few things. I was just saying to Jess, wherever she's gone, that um, this week that it, it's troubled me ever, ever, ever since. But he got up. And he talked about the fact that his wife was incredibly ill and she'd, and she'd passed away. And he said a few things. He said, for one, the church didn't even know that she was sick because, you know, we're really private people and we didn't want anybody to know or be concerned or I'm not sure why he said that. So the church was not even aware that his wife was ill and yet she's passing away. And then he said, on the morning, on the last hours of her life, I went to church 
and I preached. And they did multiple services like, like we do and he got a call in between the services to say, yes, your wife has just passed away. So he left the services at that point and went home. And then when he got home and the church was shocked and people were reeling with this news, in three days' time they had another massive celebration service and people said to him, you need to be home. And he got up in front of everybody and said, but I said, I'm going to church. And he got up and he, he said, I went to church and I preached a great message and everybody was excited and we were together as a community. And again, maybe he's got his reasons for, for why he did that. And, and maybe it was right. But let's just take ourselves out of that picture and just say in general here, something troubles me about that and it troubles me in our Christian circles that we don't allow sometimes time for grief and loss that we can't understand that it's okay to withdraw sometimes. It's okay to be struggling with the things of life. Jesus allowed this to be an interruption to him in his life. He was on the ground. And I'd say it to those of you that are leaders here today, it's the same for you. Sometimes it's okay to be on your face and struggling. Again, there's a time for being courageous. There's a time for being strong. It would be no good if I as a leader got up here every Sunday and just talked about the lament of the week that I'd been going through. So there's a wisdom that's needed as we walk through these things. But at the right time, appropriately, with the right people expressing what you're going through, this is Jesus. If there's somebody we want to base our life on, it's Jesus. God in the flesh here. And he's saying, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. One version of the Bible says, I feel so bad I could die, is what Jesus says. Have you ever felt like that? And Jesus models for us how we can walk through these things. We get a warped image sometimes, I think, of God. But there he is on the ground, overwhelmed and in anguish, sweating drops of blood, facing a heaviness in his mind. Not sinning, he wasn't sinning, but he was wrestling, even with his understanding of God, with God's will for his life sometimes. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with your understanding of God. I know for sure there are times in my life where I wrestle with God. I say, God, where are you in this moment? Man, you, you want to go through some of those, those times, you know, lead something and you'll go through those experiences. But even in recent years, I've had times where I've called out to God with, I think, loud cries and prayers like Jesus I've said God where are you in this moment turn up would you show yourself and in that moment of expectation I've waited and I've honestly at times not experienced anything I haven't felt God I've wondered where God was in that moment I wonder if you've experienced that that scratching your head moment of where is God what is going on God I didn't expect it to go like this this is the sort of grief and loss that Jesus is experiencing even in this moment. These hard to explain times with God when life isn't going as you expect it. Nicholas Walterstorff was a professor at Yale. He's a theologian. And his 25-year-old son was killed in a rock climbing accident. And later he wrote a book called Lament for a Son. And as he's thinking through what it felt like for him, he wrote these words, and maybe some of you that have lost loved ones will understand this very richly. He said, Eric, my son, 
was bursting with plans and now it's all gone. All the rich future he held, gone in these tumbling seconds. Nothing fills the void of his absence. He is not replaceable. We can't go out there and get another just like him. There's a hole in the world now. In the place where he was, there's now nothing. Only a gap remains. Please don't say it's not really so bad because it is. I can only endure with Job, endure. I do not know why God did not prevent Eric's death. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also believe my son's life was cut off in its prime. I cannot fit these pieces together. I am at a loss. To the most agonizing question I've ever asked, I do not know the answer. I do not know why God would watch him fall and I do not know why God would watch me. And if we're not careful, we can let the whisper come into us that that sort of lament, that that sort of grief is unhealthy or it's right or that you should just have more faith. We can let the grief come to us. We can allow ourselves the time to, to feel. So the first thing to do is you're experiencing seasons of grief and loss. And of course, this is somewhat extreme is just to allow yourself to feel on some of those things down that end of the spectrum. I guess the spectrum is, is wide and at other times it might be just pausing for a moment. But allow the interruption to come to your life. And then we move on and the second thing we do is we learn to fall. We've got a painting up here done by Ali Bryce. And uh, I think it's such a good point for you know, this point in the message, again, I'm amazed at how artists can, can do their creative work. But the point, really the only other point I've got is that we learn to fall. What does that mean? It means allowing the pain and the difficulty that sometimes comes with that loss to come to us, to learn from it even, allowing it to affect your life. One disease that I'm horrified with his motor neurone disease. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or experienced it, but my wife being a speech pathologist deals with people quite regularly who seem to have this disease and it's a horrific disease. It essentially often affects people, 20s, 30s, 40s, healthy people and just one day they notice that something's not working well in the space of two years, it paralyzes their whole body and they lose all control. And there is nothing they can do about it and they will eventually die. A guy called Philip Simons was diagnosed with this disease and he actually came up with this phrase, learn to fall, because what he discovered was that one day he was out playing with his six-year-old son and he fell over this one day and because uh, and suddenly something wasn't working in him properly. And then he found he would fall the next day and the next day and he would lose something else and lose something else. And he said, I discovered that I had to learn how to fall. Grieving our losses, embracing our losses is a little bit like that. It goes against a whole Western culture which says, win, come on, pick it up, sort it out, climb the ladder. But sometimes we learn to fall. Really, it's about this journey of humility that we go through, this dying that comes before the resurrection comes in our life. It's a great book. Uh, by Bill Hybels called Descending into Greatness, which again talks about this, this 
point of going down before we come up in our life. So much happens on the descent as we grieve the loss. You learn to fall. And one of the big things that happens is we learn to deal with our own self-will or maybe a better way to put it, your self-will is broken. Your stubborn self-will through grieving and loss is broken away from your life. We've shared this scripture before as we've shared this word, but Hebrews 5.8 says that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what? He suffered. That verse always stands out to me. It's not one of my favorite verses because it, it just says to me that there is a way to learn obedience and sometimes it's through that suffering. And it's worth, in a sense, just embedding in your heart and your soul as you're walking through things. There was a pain for Jesus, but it led him to obedience. We can think it was all easy for Jesus. Sometimes you can think that. Jesus was just God, right? It was just all easy. It wasn't all easy. That scripture tells us that he had to learn an obedience to God. The cup didn't mean it just sort of came automatically to him. Hebrews 5, 8 again, although he was a son, he learned obedience. He learned obedience. It wasn't like, great, here I am. I don't know what it was like for you, but you can become a believer in Jesus and it can feel so good and so right. And I don't think it's even wrong, but I think sometimes we should emphasize a little bit that there's a journey of faith in front of you that suffering Grief and loss and the things that we go through in life are going to be a part of that journey that you will have to learn obedience. That's why the Bible calls it a narrow road that's in front of you. And Jesus learned that obedience. Jesus wasn't pretending as he went through these things in the garden. He told the Father three times, if it's possible, Father, take it away from me. But the thing he says is not my will, I want your will, I want what you want. And that is not an easy prayer to pray. Jesus prayed it three times and broke through. Maybe we should pray it 3,000 times as we face the different challenges that are renewed from the evil one as he comes at us. God, not my will, but your will in this situation. In my heart, in my attitude, as I walk through these things, it's a struggle and sometimes it comes through suffering. And you know what? Sometimes, strangely, it's God's mercy and His grace that gives us these things because He wants to break away this self-will that's in our life. He wants to melt us, in a sense, as we learn to fall, and that's hard. So what else do we learn? Our will gets broken, and that's central here. Second is we learn to fall, and it seems a bit counterintuitive, but we actually come to a place of deep love and, and letting go. We let go of control. I don't know how many of you are like me. We all like control. I like control. I like things to be ordered. I like to have it all sorted out. But God teaches us to let go of control. God teaches us that you're actually not God, that you're actually not going to know everything. You're not going to know the end. You don't get to play God anymore. You aren't controlling everybody and everything in your circumstances. And the sad thing is some of us go through our losses and we get up and we start trying to fix things all over again. We don't learn. I, I want to emphasize this. You, you cannot learn if you choose to. You can keep bouncing off these walls. We talked about the wall last week. You can keep bouncing off them and saying, I'm not learning that. I'm fixing things. I'm sorting things out. 
We push God away. We say, get out of here, struggle and trial. We want to understand and control everything. I was chatting to Beck Seymour the other day, and uh, she just said a profound thing that stuck with me. We were just talking about something, and I, and I think I said, I can't wait to learn the lesson about this, because I'm all about the lesson and learning and pushing through and taking the next hill. That's a bit of my personality. And she just said, said something to the effect of, Carl, it might not be that there's a, a, a lesson in this. Sometimes it, you have to be okay not to be okay. You know, sometimes you just have to be okay in, in the mystery. And, and I, for the last couple of weeks, it sort of stuck with me. It was such a great comment in that moment. That there might not even be some great revelation that will come to you, except for saying, I'm not in control. God, you're in control. I don't understand all of these things and why they happen. As we face these moments in our lives, it's okay to fall. But we can, a bit like this guy, he's falling there, but we can stand on the edge and we can pull away in bitterness and confusion and in anger at the things that we see. Or we can say, God, I'm just going to let it be. God, you're in control. Philip Simons, who I mentioned earlier with motor neurone disease, he's, he writes in his book, we hand ourselves over. We can participate in mystery only by letting go of solutions. Who's a fixer here? Yeah? You'll, you'll understand what this guy's talking about. He, you know, bizarrely, by the end of the book, he's glad for what he's experienced. He says, I can't believe I didn't know about this. This letting go of the first lesson of falling, sorry, this letting go is the first lesson of falling and it's the hardest, he says. Letting go is so important. So imagine yourself at that cliff edge. Can you let go? Can you fall off that cliff? Think about Jesus in that moment. He was letting go. He was on the cliff's edge and he was letting go. But you think about it for him, he was cut off from the love of the Father. He knew what was ahead of him. But he was cut off from the love of the Father so that we wouldn't be cut off from the love of the Father. He was cut off from the love of the Father so that when we fall, that when we let go, we can be caught in the arms of God. I know that as I stand, and I think this happens more than once in your life, but as you stand on the edge of these things and you let go, my question is, God, are you going to be there? Because at the moment, I don't know, I think you'll be there. But Jesus knows he'll be there. He knows he's gone before us. He, know, he knows he went into death and won life so that God is there for us, so that God will catch us. And there's no easy way at the end of the day except for letting go. And as you let go, things drop off your life. Things that were so concerning to you, what people think about you, whatever you were attached to, whatever these things might be, and suddenly there's space in your spirit. Money's gone. That attraction to power, that sexual deal that was going on in you, whatever these things might be, they begin to fall off and suddenly there's space to love God in a deeper way, to worship God in your own life. And that's what this passage is all about. That Jesus, as he goes through this dark, moment in his life he's learning to fall he's learnt to fall and notice as we finish here that he's 
praying to the Father. And his strength does not come about because of his willpower. It's because he's so dependent on the Father. You see, most of us, we're so independent. And God's going to teach you to fall. And as you fall, grab onto God in prayer. Learn to pray. Learn to be in silence. Learn to worship God. Learn to call out to God in, the, in those moments. Learn to pray. Learn to grieve. It's so interesting because Peter, you see, he hasn't learnt those lessons yet, right? It's interesting what happens with Peter. He's not interested in prayer. Where's, what's Peter doing? He's asleep, just down the road a little bit. He's asleep. So Jesus goes back to him and what happens when Peter wakes up? Peter wants to take control, right? Peter says, I don't need to pray, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take control. I'm pulling out my sword and I'm cutting off the, the servant's ear. Because that's what life is about. It's about being in control. It's about victory. See, Peter hasn't learned these key lessons yet. Jesus knows that it's only through prayer. Prayer is your greatest friend as you walk through these times of difficulty. It's the one thing you have. It's your lifeline to God. Call out to God. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but God's inviting you to detach from that controlling life. So you begin to hear the voice of the one who loves you and has come to give you life. You hear the one, the voice of the God that's infinite because you're finite. Letting go involves listening to the interruptions. Letting go means learning to fall. And as we fall, we learn that obedience. And the beautiful thing is, as we fall, something happens. The miracle happens. As you go down into death, as you struggle in these moments, you raise back up into life. That's where the miracle happens. I don't know what happens as Jesus breaks the loaves and the fishes. I know there's a miracle that happens there. As Thanksgiving happens in that moment, he breaks it and more happens. There's a miracle that happens. The miracle part belongs to God as you let go the miracle belongs to God as he lifts you up it's like in John 12 24 Jesus says I tell you the truth unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seeds some things have to die in you and that's why this and that is why there is loss and grief even in this room and bizarrely, would you believe it? It's sometimes the best thing that could ever happen to you. Yes, it's horrible. Yes, you're a prostrate. You are overwhelmed. You're at your limit. You feel like you're going to die. But God wants you to know this. There's a resurrection. But before resurrection, there's burial and there's waiting and there's transition. But if it dies and it's your choice to let it die... You can be raised up again in that newness of life. As the scripture says, you can produce many seeds. So my invitation to us as a church is to persevere, to wait, to walk and lean into these moments. Don't quit. You know, Job had to wait. David had to wait. Moses had to wait. Jesus is waiting here in this moment for the Father and he's walking through these things. And as your heart is broken, as you struggle through these things, choose to let go. 
choose to let your heart be touched because we can choose not to let go and there is nothing worse in the world than a heart that is hard, than a heart that is stony, than a heart that pulls back, than a heart that is callous, the scripture says. Let your heart be broken in these times. God will use your pain to teach you and it can become a gift, of course, to others. But the transformation is coming. You know, I honestly, I wish there was another way. I wish we didn't have to walk through the things that we walk through as human beings. But the beauty of it is God is there with us through it. At the end of chapter 46, he says, rise, let's go. There is a time to get up and go and you will experience resurrection. There is a time to get up and go. There is a time when it's over. There is a time when there's victory. There is a time when there's celebration. The creative team are going to sing a song for us right now. And I just, uh, again, they've done such a great job, just picked a song which talks about these moments for all of us in our life when we're going down, when we're struggling. And I just encourage you to really listen. Maybe make this song your prayer. Maybe allow this song to touch your heart deep within. Let it be your prayer. And even as you're walking through the seasons, maybe big, maybe even small, just allow God to work in you and allow yourself to let go of the things that you're holding on to.
God, we thank you, God, for the words of that song, so true, Lord, so proven to us, Father God, that we aren't alone. And Lord Jesus, we just lift our heart and our mind to you again here today. God, we're so grateful that we have a Savior, Lord, that we have somebody that entered death for us, God, that rose to life for us. Father, so that we could, God, rise to life. Father, God, so that we aren't alone as we go through the things that we go through in life. Lord, let us be people that go to that rich place and embrace, God, everything that you have for us, God, that embrace the journey, God, that is in front of us. But Lord, at the end of the day, we can't help but have a sense in our heart as we walk through it of the courage and the conviction and the the surety of who you are, God. And so we set our eyes on you. We fix our heart on Jesus. And it gladdens our heart. It gives us courage, God, even to have the whisper of your spirit here this morning speaking to us and saying, I'm with you. I walk with you. I'm, I'm there as you walk through it, God. Take us on. Lead us on, we pray deep in our heart and our soul. Take us to that place. Lord, let us learn that obedience and let us rise again with you, Father, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You know, what is central, as we've shared today, is just that centrality of Jesus Christ and His grace that's available to us. If you want a picture of somebody that died, that rose again, that makes a way for us, it is Jesus. And uh, my challenge would be not to leave here today if you haven't, uh, I guess, entered into that relationship with Jesus. We would love to talk with you, anybody that you've seen really on the platform, myself included, would love to talk with you today. If you're something in your heart says, I need to take that next step, that'd be a, a great step and a courageous step. Also, I'd love to pray for anybody perhaps on a journey here this morning uh, that just wants us to pray with you. That would be our pleasure to do that. Otherwise, have a great day. Please uh, join us in the coffee shop and
rejoice in communion.